The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. What the Bible says about the Great Tribulation, that's the topic today. We are in a special series this summer. We were going through the Gospel of John about a year, took a break, and for the summer we're just dealing with individual topical issues that you showed interest in and gave me feedback about. And so we had a flurry of very interesting topics that we have been covering, and this was one of the top ten. 100 people surveyed top ten answers on the board. The Great Tribulation, number six. Ding! So that's why we're looking at the Great Tribulation, what the Bible says about it, and we've dealt with other uh, sermons as well on topics of interest. Election, speaking in tongues, government, Catholicism, Islam. Just so you know, next week we'll be doing what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. So just to be prepared, be prayerful as well, needs to be talked about and addressed, especially in this day and age and also in the culture in which we live here in California. We're not going to shy away from it. The Bible is crystal clear. It says a lot about the topic. It is a children's church week next week, which is probably appropriate. If you want your younger ones to be in children's church, we'll have that provided. So that will be next week, just so you're prepared ahead of time. But let's go ahead and look and see what the Bible has to say about the tribulation. This week, three different conversations I had with folks. I, they either asked or I told them, uh, so what do you preach on this week? And I said, because they knew it was you know, a different topic each week, special series. And I said, the Great Tribulation. And I had three people say, well, what's that? And they were serious. What, what is that? Had either had never heard of it before or didn't know much about it. And actually, I was kind of excited about that. I was like, that is the whole point of me doing these topics this summer. Because I don't think any of the issues we're talking about are peripheral or tangential or secondary. These are very important issues. They are all practical and they need to be addressed and they're all in the Bible. The Great Tribulation is all over the Bible. But there are Christians who don't know much about it. And so that's why we are addressing it. By the way, it has to do with prophecy. There's a lot of information on it. Uh, It confuses people at times. So just by way of reminder, these studies we're doing this summer are survey, they're overviews, they're big picture. I'm not going to get into all the minutiae and comprehensive details, but just basic things that I think you should know about the Great Tribulation because these are basically taught in the Bible, the Great Tribulation. But to answer the question of my three friends who said, well, what's the Great Tribulation? Well, here's a definition, but first I want to tell you what it is not. It is not it was, the Great Tribulation was not some weird teaching that was invented by a modern, wild-eyed, sensationalistic dispensationalist like Darby, Hal Lindsey, Charles Ryrie, or Tim LaHaye. Tim LaHaye did not invent the tribulation. The tribulation is in the Bible. What is it? Well, here's a summary definition. It is a seven-year period at the end of world history where God and Jesus judged the whole earth by pouring out world-wide plagues or wrath, during which time the Antichrist rises to power and becomes the ruler of the world. That's a biblical definition of what the Great Tribulation is. So let's look at more details. And I've got five things I want to share this afternoon about the Tribulation. Let's go to point number one. What does the Bible have to say about the Tribulation? Point number one, the Great Tribulation was predicted by the Old Testament prophets. It was taught by Jesus and is explained thoroughly in the book of Revelation. 
The Great Tribulation was pre- predicted by the Old Testament prophets, taught by Jesus, and is explained in Revelation. The book of Daniel is like the revelation of the Old Testament. Chapters 1 through 12. It's not apocalyptic literature. Set the record straight. It is prophetic literature. There is no apocalyptic literature, formally speaking, in the Bible. It's prophetic. And Daniel's a prophecy, and much of it is about the end times, stuff that is still future. And Revelation picks up where Daniel left off. And so Daniel does talk about the Great Tribulation. Daniel, last chapter, God reveals this information to Daniel the prophet. Revelation, uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. By the way, Daniel lived about 550 B.C. when this revelation was given. And God describes the Great Tribulation with these words. Daniel, there will be, quote, there will be a time of distress. There will be a time of trouble. There will be a time of tribulation, if you will. There will be a time of tribulation. Well, that was just locally. That was just in Jerusalem. No, it wasn't. It's universal. Listen. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. Remember the flood that devastated the whole world? This will be more tumultuous than the flood in many respects. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. This has not happened yet. This is not a local event. This is a universal, worldwide, unprecedented event. It hasn't happened yet. We know that for a fact because Jesus specifically referred to this passage in the Gospel of Matthew and also in Mark 13 and Luke 21. So it's predicted by the Old Testament prophets. I only quote Daniel. I could have quoted many other prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and, and on and on and even uh, the book of Deuteronomy. But that's just one example. Tribulation taught by, predicted by the prophets, taught by Jesus. Uh, Matthew 24. If you read Matthew 24, because some people say, well, I only believe in the Gospels. I'm not into all that eschatology prophecy stuff. Oh, you're into the Gospels? Only? Okay, well, you should have read Matthew 24 because it's eschatology stuff. Got to deal with it. It's there. Jesus thought it was important. And in Matthew 24, actually look at Matthew 24. I want to read one verse. Uh, Paul read it earlier, but I just want to highlight the first verse of Matthew 24. To set the context, Jesus came out. This is the end of His life. He is about to die. This is the last week of His life. And Jesus came out from the temple, was going away when His disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another which shall not be torn down. Verse 3, And as He was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Jesus privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will... Here it is. What will be the sign? What will be the indicator of Your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus, tell us about the end of the age. When is world history going to end? Much of Matthew 24 is Jesus' answer telling them when the world was going to end. And Jesus thought it was important. And the tribulation is mentioned by Jesus in Matthew 24 two times. Why do we call it the Great Tribulation? Well, because that's what Jesus called it. That's where it comes from. Talking about the end times, Matthew 24, same chapter, verse 21, talking about the future. And he said, then there will be a great tribulation. There is going to be a future great tribulation. It's not just tribulation. It is the great tribulation. It's a very specific one. It is a historical event. It is yet future. It is unprecedented. It's the one that Daniel talked about. He even quotes out of Daniel in verse 15. Daniel talked about this. 
great tribulation. We saw it in Daniel 12. Jesus calls it the, a great tribulation. Then he goes on to call it the great tribulation. So Jesus taught on the great tribulation. That's why it is important. And then my last point was that it was, it's explained in the book of Revelation. Some Christians give priority and uh, dominance to the, the New Testament. And I will just tell you one of the longest books in the New Testament is the book of Revelation. And almost the entire thing is about the tribulation and it's in detail. Unfortunately, many Christians shy away from the book of Revelation because it's confusing, it's scary, they're not sure, it's weird, whatever. Well, we shouldn't shy away from it because Jesus Christ gave the book of Revelation to the church, to Christians, with a blessing and a promise. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus Christ from Jesus Christ about the end of the world. That's what it means. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Jesus to show to His bondservants. Who are His bondservants? I am. If you are a Christian, you are a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. And this is a love letter to you from Jesus Christ Himself. And for the most part, it's about how the world is going to end. That is important. People care about how the world is going to end. All throughout history, people care about how the world is going to end. When I was growing up, I remember when I was in elementary school, the world was going to end. And then they made a movie about it called The Day After because there was going to be World War III and the Russians are going to take over the world. And I did not grow up in a Christian home and I didn't have a biblical worldview. And I was scared because I thought it was. Really. This teaching would have helped me. It would have given comfort and security to a little kid. That's the practicality of the Word of God. And eschatology and prophecy. The world is going to end. The world's going to end with swine flu! So they try to tell us. Or global warming. No, global warming is not going to end the world. Jesus Christ is going to end the world. And He tells us exactly how He's going to do it. In Daniel and the book of Revelation. So it's very comforting. But God gave this book and these details to His bondservants, the church. Things which must shortly commence. And they did. They triggered and they started in Revelation chapter 1. And they're continuing on. And there's much to be fulfilled in the future. And uh, Jesus gave this stuff to John the Apostle. And John the Apostle bore witness to the Word of God in the book of Revelation, to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads this book. Blessed is the one who reads Revelation. Knows what it says. And those who hear the words of the prophecy, who hear it preached and taught. And also, blessed are those who heed what it says. Revelation is a practical book. What a great promise. So, we need to study it. But anyway, Revelation talks about the tribulation in detail. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Here it is. Jesus, these are red letters in my Bible. Jesus gave this prophecy and said, because, said to the church at Philadelphia and to all churches and all Christians of all time, because at the end of this prophecy, He says, He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, plural. All Christians, all churches, all throughout the church age. This promise is for you. Revelation 3.10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will keep you from the hour. I will keep you from the time period in history. We're going to be preserved and taken out of a certain time period in history on God's time clock. What time period will we be kept from? You will be, I will keep you from the hour of testing, the hour of trial, the hour of tribulation. That's what the word means. 
Well, which one is that? Was it 70 A.D. where the Romans came in and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the, the temple there? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a historical, yet future, unprecedented event like no other. I will keep you from the hour of testing or trial. Which hour? That hour which is about to come upon the whole world. This is a universal event. can't deny it. Unless you twist Scripture. It's about to come upon the whole world for, the, for what purpose? To test, literally, to try, literally, to punish is what it means. That's what that word means. To punish, to judge. Who? Those who dwell upon the earth. That's a lousy translation. The literal Greek text says to judge, test, punish earth dwellers. That's what it means. That is the word. Earth dwellers used 11 times in the book of Revelation, and every single time that word is used, earth dwellers, it is referring to unbelievers. It refers to those who kill believers. It refers to those who worship the beast. It refers to those who receive his mark. It refers to those who hate God. Look it up. Eleven times, every single time, earth dwellers means unbelievers. And that word there, test, means judge, punish. The tribulation is for unbelievers. To test, to try, to punish them, those who dwell upon the earth. That phrase, by the way, earth dwellers, was first used in Hosea chapter 4 and also verse 1, I think, and then also in Isaiah chapter 24. Exact same word, same context. Day of the Lord, tribulation. Written in Hebrew, translated into Greek in the Septuagint, and it's the exact same word John uses. It is a technical phrase, earth dwellers. But anyway, all that to say, that is a prediction of the coming tribulation that John goes on to unfold the entire time. So, you know, the next time you want to spend 11 bucks and go see some crazy sci-fi movie about the end of the world, save 11 bucks and read Revelation. It's more exciting. It's true. It's going to happen. Really? It's kind of cool. And then finally, Revelation 7.14 tells us where we get that phrase, the great tribulation. And so... Uh, Actually, the details of the tribulation start in Revelation chapter 6, and it goes in chronological, sequential order. Just read it at face value. And then there's a little hiatus, commercial break, Revelation 7.14. And it talks about, it makes reference to the great tribulation. These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. There are people who are going to get saved during the time of the tribulation. Some of them are going to be killed by God's enemies, the Antichrist. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb during the great tribulation. Tribulation. So that's where that term comes from, the Great Tribulation. Didn't make it up. Point number two, the Great Tribulation is literal and will last seven years. Literal meaning it is a real historical event. It is not to be spiritualized and to say, well, the last thousand years has been the Tribulation and seven years really means a thousand years. No, it doesn't. Nowhere in the Bible does seven years mean a thousand years. It's a real historical event. Jesus said it was a real historical event. We saw that in Matthew 24. Daniel said it was a real historical event. John says it is a real historical event that is future. Unprecedented and universal. It is a real historical event. The Great Tribulation, it is literal, will last seven years. Where do you get that from? Seven years. Well, the book of Revelation doesn't say that it's seven years. But the book of Daniel does say that it is seven years. That's where it comes from. Although the book of Revelation does specifically refer to the first three and a half years, and it also refers to the last three and a half years. And at the school that I went to when I was growing up taking math, three and a half plus three and a half is close to seven. So Revelation 
is consistent with Daniel. But look at Daniel chapter 9. I do want you to look at this because this is probably the most important passage regarding the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, understanding it. It is somewhat cryptic, but fortunately God gave us Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and Revelation 1 through 22 to expand and explain the cryptic nature of Daniel 9, 24 to 27. But here's a prophecy uh, that God gave Daniel 500 years before Christ about the tribulation, the end times, when Christ would come the first time and when Christ would come the second time. And it, the details of that it's going to be a seven-year period. By the way, so Daniel uh, was a prisoner for about 70 years in Babylon, as predicted by Jeremiah two times. The book of Jer Jeremiah said that 70 years you are going to be prisoners in Babylon, 70 years, because for 70 years you neglected to celebrate the Passover, I mean the uh, Sabbath, Rest for the land. You neglected it 70 times, so for 70 years you're going to be in Babylon. That's why you're going to be a prisoner there. And so 70 years is now ending, and Daniel's lived there the whole time. And Daniel is a scholar, he's a prophet of God. He has the book of Revelation, either, I mean, uh, Jeremiah either memorized or he's got it in his possession. And it says he was reading and studying Jeremiah, and Jeremiah said that it's going to be 70 years, and then 70 years is up, and then God's going to restore his people. So Daniel's getting excited because, wow, it's about the 70th year. I'm going to live to see liberty after the 70 year imprisonment. So he is excited, and so that's what he's praying about in Daniel chapter 9. And then God sends an answer to prayer and says, Daniel, well, don't get too excited. That's true. After 70 years, there will be some liberation, but it's not the final liberation because Daniel's thinking it's the culmination of world history at the end of 70 years, that the Messiah is going to come after 70 years. And God has to correct his thinking and say, no, not at the end of 70 years. Uh, the Messiah won't come until 70 years times 7, which is 490 years. Now, 490 years later takes you to the time of Christ, and that's what this prophecy is about very specific. Uh, so look at verse 24, Daniel 9, 77. By the way, if you have the NIV translation, very good. They did an excellent job on translating the Hebrew here. And the NASB, the King James, the New King James, the ESV mess it up on this verse, unfortunately, I think, and put weeks in there. Weeks is not a good translation. It's literally in the Hebrew, 77s. It's talking about years. 70 sets of seven years, which is 490 years. That's why the NIV puts... Uh, Sevens in there. So 70 sevens. 70 sets of years. Seven sets of 70 years have been decreed, Daniel, for your people Israel and your holy city Jerusalem to do what? Then there's six infinitives in the Hebrew. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sin. To make an atonement for iniquity. In other words, the Messiah is going to die on the cross for sin in a certain time period. To deal with sin. Eventually, the Messiah as King of kings and Lord of lords when He comes the second time will bring in the second part of that verse to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to put it to an end, and to anoint the most holy place, which is the future temple. That hasn't happened yet. First part of that verse has happened. Second part awaits the coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the age. Well, when is this going to happen these 490 years? Daniel's wondering, and so God gives the answer in verse 25. So you are to know, Daniel, I want you to know when this is going to happen, and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild the Jerusalem, which was given by Artaxerxes, by the way, in 444 B.C., that's when, the, that's when the 490 years starts. And until that time, then the Messiah, the Prince, and there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. And it will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. So now he's breaking up the 490 years or the 70 weeks of seven and he calls it seven, 62, and then seven. So he's breaking it up. It's very confusing, but it all makes sense. But he's talking about 
breaking it down into chunks of years, seven years, 483 years, verse 27, and he will make, he, by the way, so now he's transitioning in verse 27, he refers to uh, the Antichrist at the end of the age, and he will make a firm covenant with the many, that's the Jews, we know this from 2 Thessalonians 2, he, the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many, the Jews, for one seven, not one week, one seven, one period, a seven-year period. A seven-year treaty. But in the middle of the seven-year period, in the middle, that's three and a half years, like Revelation tells us, three and a half years, the Antichrist will put a stop to the treaty. He will stop sacrifice and grain offering. He will stop dealing with the Jews as He promised. That's the point. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. By the way, it is like I said, it's very confusing. And there's a lot of details in there. Point is, this is where seven years comes from regarding the tribulation. Totally consistent with the book of Revelation. So that's why we call it seven years. And I put a whole bunch of references down for you in Revelation to talk about the three and a half year period and the three and a half year period. And it says a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. Revelation also says 42 months. That's three and a half years. And then it also says 1,260 or 90 days, which is also three and a half years. Very consistent. But the point is, the tribulation is literal. It will last seven years. Number three, the Great Tribulation matters. I've already alluded to this. It matters. That's why we're talking about it. Apparently, that's why many of you said, hey, I want to know about the Great Tribulation. It's important to me. It does matter. Why does it matter? Well, 2 Timothy says that all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is God-breathed. Revelation is God-breathed. Daniel is God-breathed. 2 Timothy says all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. It is helpful. All of it. Revelation is helpful. Matthew 24 is helpful. Daniel is helpful. Helpful for what? To make you become complete. To make you become mature. If you want to become a mature Christian in your living and in your thinking, you need to add the tribulation passages to your arsenal of study. Because that is the full counsel of God. That's what Paul said. I preach the full counsel of God. Did you know that studying eschatology, the tribulation, the book of Revelation, Matthew 24, the book of Daniel, is a part, it is basic to discipleship? It is basic to discipleship. It is basic to the Great Commission. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Matthew 28, the last thing Jesus said to His disciples was the Great Commission, right? Three things. Going, that's evangelizing. Baptizing, that's identifying them with the local church. And after that, teaching. Right? Evangelize baptized after they get saved. After they get saved, you teach. And it's present tense. It is ongoing. What do we teach them? Teach them everything I told you. What is Revelation? Revelation is 22 chapters of information that came from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself to His church. And it will take a lifetime to study Revelation for any Christian. It will. It is basic to the Great Commission. So don't marginalize eschatology or the tribulation or the book of Revelation. Well, I only like... I give priority to John 3.16 in the Gospels. That's not correct thinking. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable that helps with our maturity. The very heart of discipleship. It is important. I can give you 15 other reasons why it's important, but I don't have time. Some other basic practical reasons of why we should study eschatology in the tribulation. Well, to help us with discernment and to prepare us so we won't be deceived and duped by people and false teachers and people who don't know what they're talking about. I get that from Matthew 24. The whole chapter just about is about the tribulation period. And Jesus starts off the chapter by saying... Look out. Do not be deceived. And he says, think, learn, pay attention. These are exhortations and imperatives from the Lord Jesus Christ to His people. Pay attention. Do not be deceived. Implication, deceivers and false teachers are going to come along 
saying they represent God, Jesus, and the Bible and teach us the wrong things about the end of the age and the tribulation. Examples. Harold Camping, who is the president and founder of Family Radio for the last 50 years on K-H-E-A-R, whatever it is. He is not a trained theologian. He's never been a pastor. And he wrote, wrote a book before 1994 saying that the rapture in the world was going to end in 1994. I've seen it. It's 450 pages long. It's huge. Couldn't read the whole thing. But he predicted it. Well, that didn't happen. The world did not end in 1994. Then he changed his teaching. Now, you can go on his website and hear him on the radio. Just so you know, the end of the age is now May 21st, 2011. So you got time to prepare. Enjoy yourself. Live it up. I kid you not. May 21st, 2011, that's when the rapture will happen. And then on October 21st, 2011 is when the end of the age will come. Now, that is deceptive. That is wrong. That is doing exactly what Jesus said don't do in Matthew 24. He said teachers are going to come along and mislead you about the end of the age. That's misleading. He said don't believe them. And then Jesus concludes the chapter by saying nobody, nobody, nobody knows the day or the hour of these end time events. Nobody. I will give you signs, but nobody knows the day or the hour. So anytime somebody comes along and tells you the day or the hour, don't believe it. Because they're violating a basic thing of what Jesus said. So it helps us to be discerning to weed out false teaching on this topic. And there are practical implications as well to help people, to give them comfort and security, especially if you are a Christian. Examples. I remember in 1994 or whatever it was, or no, it was 92 when the Iraq war happened and people were wondering, boy, is this the end of the world and it's over in Babylon and there's World War III on our hands. And I, I had somebody who was a Christian for many years call me on the telephone at the beginning of the Iraq war in 1992 and ask me, are we in the tribulation? Is this the beginning of the tribulation? And I said, with authority, absolutely not. How do you know? Well, because I know what the Bible says about the tribulation. But I was able to give them literally comfort. I remember Y2K, 2000, when the world was going to end. Y2K. And people were getting all hyped up about that. I preached a sermon on that before it happened in the year 2000 when the world was going to end and people were asking me then specifically, is this the beginning of the tribulation? No, it is not. How can you say that so dogmatically and authoritatively? Well, because I know what Jesus said and what the Revelation says about the tribulation. This is not the tribulation. Believe me, you will know if it's the tribulation. Actually, you won't know because nobody knows the day or the hour. <laughs> and then we had the next Iraq war. And again, somebody called me again, another Christian, asking the same thing. Are we in the end times? Is this the tribulation? Uh, and, on, and I just, no, man. And trying to base them. Really, and as I probe with questions, I realize they do not have a good, solid foundation in eschatology. Under, they've never read the book of Revelation or Daniel or understood it properly. So this is basic. This is real life. Real life. So be encouraged, Christian. We are not in the tribulation because of our economic crisis right now. This, because of the economic trying times, that doesn't mean we're in the tribulation. Absolutely not. Or the swine flu. Or supposed global warming. No. So we can be encouraged knowing truth. When you know the truth, the truth sets you free. That's what Jesus said, right? You know the truth, the truth will set you free. You know the truth, the truth will give you peace of mind. You know the truth, the truth will give you security. In the midst of a troubled world of people vying for answers who have no solutions because they don't know the Word of God or Jesus Christ, the Savior. So the great tribulation matters. Here's a summary of things Jesus said in Matthew 24, saying to believers why they should know the tribulation. And here is his point. If you know about the tribulation, it's don't be deceived. I already said that one. Jesus said, don't be surprised when you see sin abounding all over the world. 
Don't be unprepared. Jesus' whole point there was, it doesn't matter what the day or the hour is. The point is, be prepared for Jesus' coming at any time. That's all. That's all you got to know. And then finally in the end, don't be presumptuous. Don't go trying to pick dates and figure it out. So that's Jesus. But the point is, Jesus said the tribulation matters. We need to know about it. The full counsel of God. It is edifying. It is stabilizing. Number four. And by the way, it is not unclear. People say, well, that, that prophecy, eschatology, tribulation, it's all foggy and you can't figure it out. And all the theologians, they disagree anyway. No, that's not true. We believe in the perspicuity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture. God gave us His Word not to confuse us, to teach us and comfort us. Do we need teachers? Absolutely. I need Bible teachers. And Bible teachers are a gift to the church, according to Ephesians 4.11, to figure this stuff out. Number four, the Great Tribulation is still future. It is still future. The book of Revelation. Now, you can get, you can get a good, uh, you know, a godly man like an R.C. Sproul, who's an amillennialist slash preterist, whatever you want to call him. R.C. Sproul got some good stuff on the holiness of God, justification by faith, the inspiration of Scripture. Godly man. And on eschatology, he, he just botches it. Uh, he even admits that. He says, I'm, somebody asked him, you seem quite confused on your position on the tribulation in the millennium. And he says, well, I am. I'm glad it came out so well. So he is confused. Keeps changing his view. But his most recent view, he wrote a book called The Last Days According to Jesus and basically said that Everything you read in Revelation has already happened. So the Great Tribulation is not future, forthcoming, and a universal, unprecedented event. It is historical. It happened in 70 A.D. It wasn't universal. It was an isolated event only for the city of Jerusalem. And when it says in Revelation 19, uh, Behold, in the clouds uh, was Jesus coming on a white horse with a sword coming out of His mouth and a crown on His head. And His name is King of kings and Lord of lords. And He comes to... That's not Jesus. That's actually the Roman army. That's what he says. That's the Roman army. So Jesus is the Roman army. But anyway, so I was reading this very confused. Um, so some would say that the tribulation has already happened. 70 A.D., a very common view. R.C. Sproul, very well-known teacher, respected teacher. He would be one who holds that view. Already happened. Then there are others who say that you're in the tribulation right now. And that's Harold Camping. He's very influential in the Bay Area. and has been for 50 years. He said right now, as a matter of fact, he says, if you are in a church, you need to quit the church. You should not be affiliated with a church. God has, not, God has abandoned the church and you need to just go find a bunch of Christians and huddle around with them. But leave the church. We are in the tribulation. So Harold Camping says the tribulation is going on right now, culminating in 2011. And then there are others, well-known Bible teachers like Hal Lindsey, who wrote that best-selling book, The Late Great Planet Earth. And he did predict, based on Israel getting together again in 1948, that the tribulation would happen around sometime in the 1980s. Explicitly said that in his book and has since revised that book and written a new one. But anyway, but it's future. Matthew 24, 29, 30, we already read this. Jesus says, how do we know that the tribulation is future at the end of the age, at the end of world history, and not a historical event in 70 A.D. when the Romans sacked Jerusalem? Because Jesus gives us the context of the tribulation, and He says this in Matthew 24, 29, and 30, immediately after the great tribulation. Immediately after. Not a gap of 2,000 years. Well, what's going to happen immediately after the Great Tribulation, Jesus? Well, He tells us. Immediately after the Tribulation of those days, emphasis on future days, end of world history days, days that Daniel was referring to, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. The literal coming of Jesus Christ is going to happen within, 
proximity of the Great Tribulation. That means it is at the end of world history. Can't deny it. It's still future. Number five. Well, what is the purpose of the Great Tribulation? And this is where Christians debate the most and have all kinds of heat generated and sometimes very little light in their arguments and disputations. Bible's clear. There is a tribulation. It is yet future. It is literal. It is seven years. It is unprecedented. It is universal and has a very specific purpose. And it's a, a multifaceted purpose, really. There isn't just one purpose of the tribulation. So let's look to Scripture and see what the purpose is. We already addressed one in Revelation 3.10. We'll highlight that again in just a second. As early as 1400 B.C., as early in the book of Deuteronomy, at the end of Moses' life when he's 120 years old, sitting in front of the Jordan River about to go into the Promised Land, he exhorts and reminds two million Jews of what God's about to give them in the Promised Land. And he's kind of pointing his finger in their face saying, if you disobey, here's what's going to happen to you as a nation. Yeah, God's favoring you and blessing you right now, but if you disobey to a certain extent, God is going to judge you. He's going to chasten you. As a matter of fact, He's going to chase you out of the Promised Land. He will disperse you all over the world. And you will live among the peoples as a minority. That's what He's talking about in, Matthew, in uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 4. And when you are in distress, and you, when you are in a time of trouble, and when you are in great tribulation, by the way that Daniel later talked about, that Jesus talked about, that Revelation was delineated. When you are in the time of distress, the time of trouble, when is this? In the latter days. He's not talking about something that happened historically. In the latter days. The end of world history. That is the context. What will happen? You will return to the Lord. You will return. Unbelieving Israel scattered abroad will return to the Lord Jesus Christ and embrace Him as Messiah and Savior. We know that's true. That's what Paul wrote Romans 9-11 through for. And at the end of Romans chapter 11, it says all Israel will be saved. All that means is that collectively as a nation and as a people, corporately, Israel, the Jews, will embrace Jesus Christ as Messiah. That's, this was predicted in Deuteronomy. It's amazing. This will happen at the end of the age. In the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and you will listen to His voice. But if you read the context in Deuteronomy chapter 4, you're just going to see all this trial being chased out of town, chastened, punished. Actually, it's chastening as God chastens a son and disciplines them out of love to correct them, to woo them back. So the tribulation is not to punish Israel. It is not to judge Israel. It is to chasten Israel. It is to purify Israel. It is to soften Israel. It is to woo Israel back. And you know what? God is going to be successful. Romans chapter 11, as clear as can be at the end of the chapter, all Israel will be saved. Right here, Deuteronomy 4.30, in the latter days, you will return to Jehovah. God has a plan for the nation of Israel. And the promise in Genesis 12 still stands. Those who bless Abraham shall be blessed. Those who curse Abraham and the Jews shall be cursed by God. So the first great purpose of the Great Tribulation is to chasten Israel. By the way, uh, I believe that the seven-year tribulation is the 70th week of the prophecy given by Daniel when he said there are 77. 69 of those periods of seven years has already happened. That was 483 years. That was from the time of Daniel to Jesus' crucifixion. 483 years. And then there was a gap. I don't know if you noticed that, but in verse 27 of Daniel 9, 
Then he reserves another week by itself, a seven-period year. And that is the tribulation year. So there's a hiatus, there's a gap of the church between the first 483 years and the last seven years of the 490 years of the tribulation. Uh, let me read another verse there. Uh, oh, look at Romans uh, 9 through 11, culminating in Romans 11, talking about Israel. It says, if you're a Gentile, you got saved, you're a part of the church, don't be arrogant, don't be haughty, don't turn your nose down at unbelieving Jews. If you do, God might chasten you. That's what the whole argument is about. And at the end, he says this about the nation of Israel. Gentile who's a Christian who's in the church, you need to understand that a partial hardening, not a complete hardening of Israel, a partial hardening of Israel has happened until the fullness of the Gentiles has come into the church and thus all Israel will be saved. God is not judging Israel right now. He's not judging Israel any more than He's judging anybody else in the world. Wrath of God is being revealed against the whole world and all ungodly. He's not judging Israel. It's a partial hardening. Jews are being saved today. Gentile Christians, so you don't get too arrogant or haughty. The first Christians who got saved were Jews. They're called the apostles. The first 3,000 that got saved were in Jerusalem. They were Jews. Paul, who wrote the, those who wrote the New Testament, who exalted Christ as Messiah, were Jews. So it's a partial hardening. And God's going to use the tribulation in the future to woo Israel back. By the way, the tribulation, God isn't going to use the tribulation to punish or judge Israel, but to chasten Israel. And there is a difference. Because God, during the time of the tribulation, you can read it, Revelation 6 to Revelation 18 is a chronological, sequential, detailed summary of what's going to happen in the tribulation. And note who God is judging and punishing in chapters 6 through 18. He is not punishing Israel. He is judging and punishing with His plagues unbelievers, earth dwellers. Now Israel, the Jews, are mentioned in the tribulation. But in Revelation chapter 12, it specifically says that God protects the nation of Israel from the Antichrist. And God makes a hiding place in the desert for the Jews, the believing Jews, from the Antichrist. So God actually provides preservation and protection for believing Jews during the time of the tribulation the exact same way that He did in the book of Exodus when God poured out His ten plagues they're called the ten plagues, right? Did you know the book of Revelation uses the same thing regarding God's judgments? In Revelation, He calls them plagues. Revelation 16, they are called plagues. Revelation 21, they are called plagues from God. They're not from the Antichrist. They're from God and Jesus pouring out plagues to judge unbelievers. And in the book of Exodus, with the ten plagues, God made a distinction between unbelieving Egyptians and believing Jews. And the flies would come and the flies would attack the unbelieving Egyptians and would leave the believing Jews who were in Goshen alone. God made a distinction among His people. He does the same thing in the tribulation. He's going to provide some preservation from His judgments for believing Jews. Now, some of the Jews are not going to escape the wrath of the Antichrist. That's a different story. He will successfully murder believers during the tribulation. So it is to chase in Israel. Uh, and then point B. The Great Tribulation has a specific purpose. Point B is the first one is to chase in Israel. The second one is to judge God's enemies. And I refer to this in Revelation 3.10. We already went over that verse. It will be a time of testing directed against earth dwellers. Uh, here's another verse. Isaiah 13. Talking about the tribulation. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord. That's a time period. That is the tribulation. What is it like? It is cruel with fury and burning anger. Who is mad? God is. 
Jesus is mad. What is He mad at? Sin. He's always mad at sin. He is so mad at sin, He must kill somebody to atone for sin. That's how angry God gets at sin. And the good news is that Jesus Christ came down here as God and the Creator took on a human body, lived the perfect life, never sinned, willingly went to the cross, and on that cross, for six hours, absorbed the holy hatred of God's wrath toward sin on the cross. God the Father punished Jesus on the cross for sin. And the death of Jesus Christ satisfied, propitiated God's wrath for sin. Bloodshed was required. So God is mad. He's mad at sin. Calling all to repent. Not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. That's the heart of God. Holy? Yes. Loving? Merciful? Yes. So God says at the end time, He is cruel with fury and burning anger. And He says, I will punish the world. There it is. I will punish the world. I'm going to punish the Jews. I'm going to punish the church. I'm going to punish Christians. No. Here's the purpose of the tribulation according to Isaiah 13. I will punish the world for its evil. They are unrepentant at any time. An evil, wicked, heinous sinner, all he has to do is repent of sin, come to Jesus, immediate, instantaneous forgiveness from God. It's the good news. It's the heart of God. But there are plenty who will reject and say, no, I will not repent. I love my sin. I hate God. And those are the ones that God will punish. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud, the abase, and to abase the haughtiness of the ruthless, at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of His burning anger. More details are given in Second Thessalonians chapter one. I mean, chapter two, verse one through twelve. So the tribulation is a time where God is going to judge His enemies like He's never done in the history of the world to culminate His plan in world history. So the tribulation is a time of chastening Israel, judging his sinful, unrepentant enemies. And finally, one of the points of the tribulation is to exalt and magnify Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. By the way, Jesus Christ will return at the end of the tribulation, at the, at the perfect time, after God's plan has totally and perfectly been fulfilled. And Jesus Christ will come down from heaven to earth that has just been judged by God and by Jesus the Lamb Himself. And Jesus will install Himself as despot of planet earth to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords for 1,000 years on earth. It's amazing. Revelation speaks of this. Revelation chapter 11. Right in the middle of describing the tribulation in chapters 6 through 18, another commercial break to highlight the glory of Jesus Christ and how He is preeminent in all this. Don't lose your focus about the preeminence of Jesus Christ in eschatology and tribulation and prophetic studies. It's all about Jesus Christ and His glory, isn't it? You've got to have the right perspective. And that's what John reminds us of right here, so we don't forget. Revelation chapter 11 says this, the kingdom of the world. See, he's predicting what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation, just before the millennium, when Christ returns to rule on earth. The kingdom of the world has become, or will become, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, the Messiah. He will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who are like human-like beings up in heaven who sit on their thrones before God the Father fell on their faces and they worshipped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God the Almighty who are, who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged. They are angry. Unbelieving nations. And your wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants or slaves, the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, 
and to destroy those who destroy the earth has come. Third great point of the tribulation. It is a time where Jesus Christ is going to be exalted like a time like no other in history in His role and capacity as Creator, Judge, Lord of Lords, and King of Kings. And He will show all the kings of the earth there is only one King that matters. There's only one King we need to bow the knee to. And whether they do it during the tribulation or not, every soul is going to bend the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord someday, aren't they? And I always tell people it's better to do it in this life than to be forced to do it in the next life. Like Philippians 2 says, Jesus Christ has highly been exalted by the Father so that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Almighty God the Father. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father, thank You for Your goodness. God, that comes to us in so many ways. Your goodness by virtue of providing a Savior to deal with Your fury, Your anger. Those are strong words, God. Of Over sin, we are all sinners. Yet You provided a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You so much. God, thank You that You are saving people today, drawing people to Yourself to rescue them, to save them from their sin, from hell, from the world, from death, and even from future wrath and the tribulation. God, thank You for being a good, merciful, patient God. Also, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for its clarity. Everything You want us to know and be concerned about is there. Thank You for the Teacher, the Holy Spirit, that lives in every Christian who guides us into truth as we search Your Word. And also thank You for fellow saints that You've also gifted to enlighten us, us to what the Scriptures mean as well. So, and we thank You for the uh, church, the body of Christ, this local church that You have raised up. I thank You for every person You've brought our way today. Pray that we can continue with sweet fellowship as we thank You for everything and commit this day to You, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.